be reading in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which is Pew Bible number 1026. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. We started a study last week, a journey together, in which we'll rehearse the story of our King, King Jesus. And so I want to continue that this morning in Matthew chapter 1. Hope you'll keep your Bible open to verse 18 and following as we look at the text together this morning. One of the most amazing things that we could ever deal with as a church and ever just try to comprehend is the story that we're getting ready to be presented in Matthew chapter 1 today. As a matter of fact, I had a professor in my Old Testament class when I was in seminary. He's actually preached from this pulpit, Gary Galliotti, and has a commanding voice. And he would always say a couple of things that you would never forget. He would repeat them the entire semester. One of them was this, our God is a coming down kind of a God. He is a coming down kind of a God. That means he would condescend from heaven to come to earth to be with us. God did not just leave us alone. He uh, did not just kind of send us a message. He himself would come down. That's what we're dealing with in Matthew chapter 8 or chapter 1 verse 18 and following this morning. It's an amazing event. It is the wonder of wonders. As a matter of fact, if you will think about it with me for a moment, we preach the gospel. That's what Mark or Matthew is writing about to us, this gospel of Jesus who has come to die for our sins. He's buried and raised again on the third day. And we preach that as the most amazing miracle ever. If you would think with me for a moment, this is what my professor would say. And I would always say, I don't know. But as I think about it, he's exactly right. We think about the cross and the resurrection and that is our message. But the wonder of wonders is not that God could overcome death. He's God. The wonder of wonders is that he would ever come to earth. In just a moment, we're going to remember together Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when uh, uh, Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They've rebelled as our representatives, as our father and mother, as human beings. They sinned, and so everybody from then on, we're all sinners because they represented us in sin. And when they sinned, God did not have to come down. And yet the Bible says there in Genesis 3, that in the cool of the day, as was his habit, God came down to walk with Adam and he couldn't find him. He said, Adam, where are you? Adam knows their sin and he's hiding. The 
wonder of wonders, my friend, is that God would ever come down after Adam and Eve had sinned. He did not need to. Adam and Eve did not deserve it. As a matter of fact, God could have annihilated them at that moment and been completely just, as He could do for any one of us and any human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. God in justice, if that's what we're looking for is justice, would completely wipe us out because we're sinners indeed. And God owes us, if you want to know what God owes you, He owes you wrath and hell. And yet, Matthew chapter 1, wonder of wonders, He does not give you what you deserve. Rather, He comes down to become one of us to provide us a way of salvation. This morning, as you sit and listen to this text, my desire is that you would walk away from this place not thinking, I need to do this, or I need to change this, or I need to quit this habit. Those are all good things, and they're things that you and I should think about in our walk with Christ. What I want you to do today, though, out of, out of this passage, is to go away thinking, what a Savior, what a God who would come down, take on flesh, and provide us salvation. So let's look at our text together. Last week we looked at the first part of chapter 1. Go back to verse 1 with me, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. I believe in the beginning of this chapter what Matthew is doing as he sets up the story of our king, as he's wanting to identify him, he's going to say to us, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the son of Abraham. Abraham received a promise from God, and that was the anointed one, the Messiah, who would bring salvation will come through you, Abraham. He received that promise. David received a promise from God. David, there will be someone that sits on your throne forever and ever and ever. He will be a forever king, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Matthew is saying, you want to know who Jesus is? First, he's the son of Abraham. He's the Messiah. Second, he's the son of David. He is the forever king, proclaiming his forever kingdom, and he's invited us to be a part of it. Now, beginning in verse 18, we might would ask Matthew, how do you know? Matthew, you've just told us all these people. Abraham wasn't the one that was the Messiah. Isaac, his son, miraculously born, he was not the Messiah. Jacob, his son, he was not. Jacob had 12 sons. They were not. How do you know? You keep saying, this is the next generation, this is the next generation. Why are you telling me that you finally got to this one and he is it? David, read his name, beginning there in verse 6. After David, there is king, after king, after king, after king. None of them lived forever. None of them are sitting on David's throne right now. As a matter of fact, it's been hundreds of years since anyone has sat on the throne of David. Matthew, how are you now telling me this is the identity of Jesus? He is the king who will reign forever. He is the Messiah who will bring salvation and deliverance. How do you know? How did it happen? Matthew would say, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this in this way. Let me show you from Matthew, who would say, I'm glad you asked why he's going there. Last week, we looked at verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I reminded you that word genealogy there 
Literally, the word in the Greek is Genesis. That should ring a bell for most of us. We have taken a lot of time to study the Old Testament, and the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. You get in Genesis chapter 4, actually chapter 2, verse 4, the Genesis of, and then you get in chapter 4, and it's the Genesis of. Chapter 5 is a whole Genesis, the beginnings of Adam to Seth, all the way down to Noah, and you've got this story of, or this beginnings of, the life. And so I told you last week, the book of the story, of Jesus. It's really the book of the Genesis of Jesus. Now look at verse 18. Your English translation most likely says something like this. Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. The word birth in the Greek is the exact same word. The the Genesis of Jesus took place the same way. So it ties the two together. This is who he is, his identity. This is how he came into being. This is why he is who he is. Here's how it happened, is what Matthew's saying. And both of them are pulling us back to, in Genesis you read about the first Adam. Now I'm going to tell you about one who's come to replace him. Paul will call him in Romans the second Adam. This is his story. This is his beginning. This is how I know that the one that I'm writing this book about, Matthew would say, is son of David, son of Abraham, Messiah, king forever, your savior. Let me tell you about him. Now, many of you have heard the text read, and you're thinking, this guy is out of his mind. He's preaching a Christmas sermon in August. Stay with me. We can talk about the birth of Jesus even in August because he's still our Savior. And so let's look at what we're doing together here. Look at the story with me. Here's how it takes place. Verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Now, stop right there, betrothal, something like engagement. You would know that uh, this young couple, uh, most likely in their teenage years, history would tell us in that first century Jewish culture, Mary is most likely between 14 and 16 years old. Women would get married a little early, sometimes a little later than that, but most likely, majority of women, they were married around 14 to 16. Joseph's probably in his upper teens, could be a little older, don't know. But just assume with me for a moment, two young people, never been married, they're engaged. Betrothal is a little more than our engagement. It is a little bigger commitment. So much so that as you read the text, and you've just heard it read, that if Joseph would want to break it off, it would be called a divorce. So it's more than our engagement. We could just break off our engagement, give a ring back, or or take a ring back and say, hey, you know, I don't want any part of this, and no harm, no foul kind of thing, we're done. Not in first century Jew. Jewish culture, betrothal was more of a commitment than that. It was considered by the culture as if we're all, or or these two couples, or we're all looking at them as they have taken every commitment of marriage save one. That is, they have not physically uh, consummated their marriage. They've not lived together, and they've not physically consummated this marriage. But that's coming. This is a preparation time. So we're getting ready for that in betrothal. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Now, I say that and make so much of a big deal about that because read what happens next. They were betrothed. Before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us up front what's going on here. Because if you would have just read, she... Uh, was found to be with child, we would all immediately be suspicious. As a matter of fact, think about this young teenage couple and this young girl coming home to talk to mom and dad about what's going on. There's a, there's a point that she knows, I'm pregnant. 
I'm carrying a child. Now, I've got three daughters in my house. I'll tell you how it go in my house. Not really well. Right? So my daughter comes home. Or Mary comes home to, jo- to her parents. She says, Mom and Dad, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. Hold on. It's bad news. Good news. It's of the Holy Spirit. Now, Dad, how would you respond? Be honest. Exactly the way that I would respond, right? Can you imagine having the conversation with Joseph? Honey, I know we're engaged, but you got to hear me here. I'm pregnant. How does Joseph respond? Well, the Bible tells us. It says a couple of words about Joseph. Number one, he's considering these things in verse 20. He's really thinking. Now, I don't know about you, but if this were to happen to me, I would maybe have done more than consider. I don't know how you deal with conflict, but I don't know that I would believe as a father or as uh, an engaged man, you're pregnant and it's of the Holy Spirit. Right, right. We need to talk about this thing. Joseph's considering all of this and he has decided, verse 19, as a righteous and just man, he's unwilling to put her to shame. He basically had two, two choices. He could put her to public shame or he could quietly divorce her and not really let anybody know and just say, hey, we just, it ended. We ended it. He decided the latter. He didn't want to put her to public shame. He's loved her, respected her. But this happened. We're going to divorce. I mean, that's inevitable. This has happened. We're not going to do that. And so verse 20, as he's considering these things, he clearly falls into sleep. The Spirit of God sends the angel of the Lord to speak to Joseph. Now, if I were in Joseph's shoes, this would have to happen. All right, so be honest with me. I would not just take someone's word, oh, this is of the Holy Spirit. Right? God would have to speak to me to move forward. And that's exactly what happens in this text. So the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, appears to him in a dream, and he says a couple of things to Joseph. First, he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your spouse. In other words, Joseph, you're going to adopt this child. The child that Mary's carrying is of the Holy Spirit. It's what he says. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving life to this baby that she is carrying, and you are to adopt him. You're to be his adoptive father. So take Mary the Holy Spirit has miraculously conceived this baby in her. And by the way, it's a boy. In other words, notice as well, the Spirit, the angel of the Lord, addresses Joseph, Joseph, son of David. So what the Spirit is literally saying is, it's a boy. It means you're going to be the adoptive father. This boy is going to be the rightful heir of the throne of David. So if God does something miraculous and you can sit or he can sit on the throne, he will be an heir to the throne of David. So marry her, become her husband, his father, so that you would be an adoptive father. He is the legal heir to the throne through Joseph. So it's a boy, and by the way, name him Jesus. Joseph would have clearly known Yahweh saves, the name of Jesus, Joshua Yahweh saves. And so he says in verse 21, For, name him Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Now if you underline your Bible, I would challenge you, especially if you're going through this entire study with us, 
put some brackets around verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. This is going to be, I believe, one of the major reasons that Matthew is writing to us. Everything in the rest of this book comes out of that. I'm telling you about Jesus, son of Abraham, Messiah, son of David, King, because he is here and he will save his people from their sins. This is what the good news is. So everything else, Matthew is saying, I'm writing because of this. And so I want you to note two things about Joseph, then we're going to start making some application, although these kind of apply to us. First, Joseph is obedient to the Lord. He is obedient to the Lord. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. He did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Church, there's nothing that can substitute for obedience to the Lord. Some of you may say this morning, well, the the angel of the Lord came and woke him up in a dream and spoke to him. I would say to you, the Spirit of God has written the Word of God to us. It is as plain as that to us. And Peter would say in 1 Peter, we have a more sure word. If you have a dream and you're waiting on a dream for God to speak to you, some of you might say, well, I had a dream last night or I have this hunch. I call it the holy hunch. It really could be the taco you ate last night or the piece of pizza woke you up at two and you say, oh, well, this is God speaking. I don't know that we should trust ourselves near that much, but we have a sure word, and it's the word of God. You can obey God's word. Just It's here before you. It's plain. Read it. So Joseph obeyed. There's nothing that could exchange for your obedience to the word of God. Joseph is a great uh, example to us there. Not only that, very briefly, Joseph in his example as an adoptive father is a great example of what God does for us. He becomes a picture of God adopting us. We have been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. He has become our adopted father. So Paul says God has given us the spirit of adoption. He's put his spirit in us because he adopted you as a son and a daughter of the royal family of the king. You are an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. Joseph gives us a great picture of that. Praise God for those who are adopting. I'm so glad that in evangelical Christianity right now, adoption is something that we're really considering. It is a clear picture of the gospel, and Joseph gets to live it here, to bring in one who is not yours into your family and adopt them as your family. So what God did, so what Joseph does, great picture, Praise the Lord for it. Now, this morning, I told you our application was not going to be necessarily to go do something. What is our application? I want you today to see Christ as he's presented here and your faith to grow. If you walk out of here and you say, I trust Jesus more than I have ever trusted him. I understand and see who he is and how he got here to be my Savior more than I ever have, then our purpose would be accomplished. I think Matthew's would too. So I'm going to walk through this text with you and show you a couple of things where he is going to instruct our faith, our trust in Jesus. Number one, in this text, God is reminding us of his original creation in Genesis as he sends his Son into the world to bring a new creation. So God's reminding us of his original creation There are cues in this text that send us back to Genesis because God is doing something in Jesus and it's called the new creation. So look at this with me. Primarily in this text, I want you to note the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God. The one who is conceived in Mary is conceived of, put there by, the Holy Spirit of God. And so that 
reminds me, even the word Genesis in verse 18, certainly in verse 1 and verse 18, reminds me of what the beginning of all of this was. Matthew starting out our New Testament, bringing us to this idea of creation. Now, not only that, we have the Spirit. So, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 2-7, the Spirit of God in the creation of man, the Spirit of God was breathed into man, God by His Spirit breathed into man, and the man became a living being. In Genesis 1 and 2, it is the Spirit of God that gives life to man. It's what God does through His Spirit to give us the very life that we have. He gave life to the first Adam through His Spirit. What's He doing here in Matthew chapter 1? He is bringing about what Paul will call the second Adam, which is Jesus, And the Spirit of God is what's giving life to Jesus in Mary's womb. So in both places, you have the active Spirit of God bringing life to a representative of all mankind. Adam, the representative of everybody that would be born after him. Jesus, the representative of everybody who would be born in him. So the Savior is here, and He's bringing a new creation, and His invitation to you is to be born again. To be born in Him. And this born again, John 3, happens by the Spirit of God. He brings life wherever He is. And so the invitation to you, the invitation to me, is to come to Him. There is a new creation. You can be remade. You can have eternal life. And it's going to be the work of the Spirit in you. God's reminding us of His original creation even as He sends Jesus, who brings about the new creation. Creation. God giving us life. Secondly, it's a point we'll make next week more in depth. Secondly, God is always faithful to His promises. Look at verse 22 with me. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He quotes for us Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, God is always faithful to keep His promises. This, verse 22, is the first of what's going to be five events or times that that Matthew is going to show us the events around Jesus' life, early childhood, so through chapter 2. So just here, the rest of chapter 2, there are five times that Matthew's going to say, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said, or to fulfill what Scripture says. What Matthew is saying is, remember, Jesus, His birth, His death, when it comes, His resurrection, none of this was plan B to our God. God didn't wake up one morning and say, man, these people have really messed up. They are sinful, rebellious, they deserve hell. What in the world are we going to do? That's not our God. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. Before God ever spoke into existence light or earth or water or the stars or you, He knew there was going to be a need for something to atone for our sin. Jesus is plan A for our God. And Matthew is telling us he is fulfilling all that God has already told you is going to happen. So, 700 years before Jesus' birth, 
God through his prophet says, there will be a virgin that will conceive. Stop. We repeat that word because we say it so much in Christianity, I don't even know that you just get it anymore. There will be a virgin. A young girl has never known a man. She's going to get pregnant. Impossible. Nope. Not with our God. There will be a virgin. She will conceive. She'll bring forth a son. He'll be the son of Abraham, the son of David, and he'll save you from your sins. He'll be the king forever. God's going to do it. This is God's plan. Matthew's saying, God is fulfilling scripture. He's doing what he told us he was going to do. Listen to me, church. Our God is always faithful to his promises. He's always faithful. This means you can come to Him. You can trust Him. You can count on Him. You can bank your eternity on Him because He will be King forever. Why? Because He said this 700 years before it happened. There are other things we're going to look at next week and that's going to be our focus, so let's move on. God is always faithful to keep His promises. So when He promised Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. He's here. This is the seed of the woman. He is here. And so when he promised through Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, he's here. God did not just try to find one couple and say, oh, well, you'll work. Maybe this son that you guys are having. No, God had planned it through Mary from the beginning of time, from before the foundation of time. God is always faithful. Number three, only Jesus, only Jesus can be the Savior of Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. There's no one else that fits the job description. How do I know that? Because to do what Jesus did, you must be both God and man, and Jesus is that. You must be fully man because you have to identify with us. You have to be one of us. Hebrews chapter 10 says to us, and you know this, the blood of of goats and bulls can never atone for the sin of man. You can't kill a goat and that blood of that goat atone for your sin. God set up this whole system in the Old Testament to show you there is one coming who will shed his blood for your sin. So I want you to sacrifice these animals to our God because they all belong to him anyway so that you would in faith say, I believe one is coming. But Hebrews tells us God never intended because it could never happen the blood of a bull or a goat to atone for your sin. Jesus had to come to become one one of us, like us, to identify with us, to go through the same temptations we do, to have the same emotions we do, to have the same desires and thoughts that a human has. That is Jesus. He became man. He took on flesh, John says in John chapter 1. Physically, Jesus is Mary's little baby boy. Don't miss that. Sometimes we read the Gospels and we think Jesus is some kind of great uh, um, cosmic figure who just broke into the world and lived among us for a little while. No, he came as a baby. His diapers needed changing. He cooed and cried. Uh, David Platt in his commentary on this This passage of scripture says it might have been a holy night, but it certainly wasn't a silent night. As any of you who have had babies in your home, newborns, you know that. And he's exactly right. Jesus came as a little baby boy. Aaron, I see you sitting there. You got three coming. You're going to know. It's not a silent night, brother. He had to learn to walk. He had to be taught how to speak to others. He had to be taught language. 
He had to be taught how to address adults. And he had to be taught how to eat with manners. Jesus was fully man. He experienced our emotions. He experienced our thinking, our temptations. Listen to me, church. This means he can identify with you. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, this Jesus, he's just a great moral example. He always did everything right. I can never live up to that. You're right, you can't. But he went through every temptation that you go through. He suffered more than we could ever suffer. So that Hebrews chapter 2 says, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4 says he can identify with us in our suffering. Come to him. He's like you. He's fully human so that he can pay the price for your sin because he's fully human. He was like us, yet, there's one way it was not, he was without sin. We needed a Savior like us, and God sent his own son to be born of a woman as a baby, to grow up just like you and I, and he was fully human so that he could be our Savior, one like us. But not only was he fully human, he must have been fully God in order to take the place for every one of us, for His blood to atone for all mankind, He had to be fully God for Him to overcome death. There's no human that has overcome death. We've tried for generations and thousands of years to look for the perfect formula, the perfect thing. You know, We might say, oh, well, that was a crazy seeking out of the fountain of youth. We do it. Watch your television. We sell creams and vacations and all kinds of stuff to help you overcome what is inevitable. Aging and eventually death. We try to do it all the time. There's only one who can overcome death and he had to be God. And that's our Savior. Jesus was fully God. Joseph was his adoptive father. The Father, God, was his real father. Matthew will show us Jesus' authority as God. As a matter of fact, when we read on, we're going to see Jesus healing diseases, Him commanding nature, His raising from the dead, raising the dead from the dead, and then Him overcoming, defeating the enemies of His kingdom. He has come to save, and in order to save, He must overcome sin, death, hell, the grave, all of it. Jesus had to be God to overcome all of that. One of my heroes of the faith when I was a young man was a, an African-American preacher by the name of E.V. Hill. I'm not sure that any of you have ever heard that name or know him. If you ever get a chance to listen to him, I would listen to him. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But uh, E.V. Hill had preached a sermon. I was able to go hear him in a pastor's conference one time. He's preaching a sermon on the lineage of Jesus. And E.V. in typical African-American style that uh, us white guys cannot replicate, right? Uh, he gets on this role of, of um, uh, showing us who Jesus is. And he says to us, you know, Jesus on his mother's side and he was on his father's side. And could you just imagine with me for a moment somebody asking Jesus a few questions? Well, son, where are you from? Well, on my mother's side, I, I'm, I'm from Nazareth. On my father's side, I hail from the celestial royal palace from beside the throne of my father in heaven. How old are you? On my mother's side, I'm 30. But on my father's side, I've existed from all eternity and I have no beginning and no end. What do you do for a living? On my mother's side, I'm, I'm a carpenter. Just like my earthly father, but... But on my father's side, I sustain the universe and reign eternal as king. 
Well, where are you headed today, son? Well, I'm, I'm headed to Jerusalem on my mother's side. I, I'll be arrested and falsely accused, beaten and crucified and buried. But on my father's side, I'm going to rise from the dead and will be seated in the heavenly places, having accomplished all that my father has sent me to accomplish. And I'll be given a name that is above every name. And at that name, at that name, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Who is your daddy? Well... On my mother's side, Joseph, son of David, the carpenter. But on my father's side, it's the almighty, all-powerful, eternal God. You see, Jesus had to be fully man to identify with us. He was fully God so that he could be our Savior. He is the God-man. He's nothing less than fully human. And he's nothing less ever than fully God. He is the God-man, fourthly and finally. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know if you think it's strange. I kind of did the first couple of times I read the text. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph says, she's going to bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus. Quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who Matthew says all of this happened to fulfill this prophecy. And this prophecy says in verse 23, And they shall call his name, what? Jesus? No. Emmanuel. One and the same. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus, incarnate, taking on flesh, becoming man, is God with us. The wonder of wonders, my friend, is that God would take on flesh and become one of us. If you give us, if you grant that God would become man, it is not a far step from that, that he would die in our place. If he loved us enough to come down, to live among us, God with us, it's not a far step for you to say, well, if he would live among us, he would die for our sin. And if he would die for our sin, it's nothing for him to overcome death and rise from that grave. God is with us. Oh, my friend. Delight in, gaze upon your Savior, my Savior, our Lord, who came and took on flesh to become the Savior of His people. The wonder of wonders is that God would come down in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned. It's the wonder of wonders that He would come down to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and make a covenant with Him. It's the wonder of wonders that He would redeem His people in Exodus chapter 32 and then meet them to come down on Mount Sinai. It's the wonder of wonders that a baby born to Mary is God with us, Emmanuel. It is the love of our God that says... I will not count equality with God something to be grasped. I will let it go and become a man. And taking on the form of a bondservant, I will give myself to die for you so that I could be in relationship with you and receive glory for redeeming my people for eternity. Oh, church, God is with us. No more clearly than in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. As a baby, born to Mary, fathered by Joseph on this earth, he is our king coming down to save his people from their sins. So that when you get to the end of the book, 
And we read together Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And you see the king who has overcome all the enemies of his kingdom, the greatest and final of which is death. You will see him say, All authority has been given to me. I've overcome everything. I am the king. I am the son of Abraham, the son of David. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, Now you go and make disciples. And I will be with you. Even to the end of the age. God is a coming down kind of a God. And he has promised his presence with his people. He is with us, church. He's with us in Christ. He's with us now by sending his spirit to be among us and in us. This is our God. Jesus' incarnation assures us of the presence of our God forever and ever and ever.